and we are live. Welcome to MaxWeb Video Podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Google or Apple, make sure you come back to this on YouTube later on or Facebook because our awesome guest has some really cool things that he's going to share with us. And without further ado, I would like to introduce you to someone super special. I'm incredibly honored that I got him on our podcast, on our humble podcast, because he's a rock star and uh, everyone wants to pick his brain. So, Rick, I am so honored to have you here. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Excited to be here, Anna. I would love if you take a few minutes, pretend that people yeah. don't know who you are and tell us a bit about you and your background to our, to our industry and how you uh, came to be in the beautiful world of performance marketing. Uh, sure. And is it Anka? Do you go by Anna or Anka? Which is the... That's a wonderful question. So if you check my passport, is Anka... But uh, my American friends, I have double citizenship. So everyone had such a hard time pronouncing it. At one point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to say Anna. It's, it's globally easy to pronounce no matter where you are. So everyone in the industry really calls me Anna. But at home, they call me Got Anna. it. Got it. Um, yeah. So, like, I'll try and tell a long story short. Um, I... Uh, I uh, was an accounting major in college and I worked for Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting. Uh, learned a lot about business uh, working for Anderson Consulting and Arthur Anderson. I had a unique uh, situation with them where I got to like spend time in every division. And uh, my plan was actually to work for Anderson Consulting and Arthur Anderson after I graduated from college. That was kind of like my backup safety kind of thing. And then my dad was a serial entrepreneur and he had a store in Manhattan that was losing money and he was going to close it. So I thought I could turn that store around. So I, in, I dropped out of college after my first semester senior year. I only had one semester left and uh, took over this store in Manhattan that was failing because there were six months left on the lease. And I made a deal with my dad that if I, he was planning on closing it because it was losing money. Um, that if in those six months I was able to turn around the store, that he would renew the lease and we'd be partners from that day forward. And so that's what I did. I went back to New York City and took over this store. It was a shit show when I took it over. It was doing about a million and a half dollars a year. The break even was three million. And um, over the next three years, I mean, we got it to break even within like four months, but was able to grow it from like one and a half million to about seven and a half million like over the next three years, we were the first store in the United States to bring diesel in and a bunch of other brands that are really well known now. In fact, my general manager of my store became president of uh, retailing for diesel and everyone kind of moved on to bigger and better things. Uh, I also started a record label in that store as well. Like what happened was, is we were one of the first stores, I think, in the world to have live DJs playing in the store. And then we started licensing the music that we played in the store because it occurred to me that like we worked so hard in retail to maximize our sales per square foot, but we were filling our air with um, music that we weren't selling. And so that didn't make any sense to me. So we were one of the first stores to do that too, like have our own music. And then that sold so well that I built a recording studio right in the middle of the store. Um, the store was big. It was 14,000 square feet. And, um, 
And then that started our record label, AB Audio, and that was right when electronic music was getting really popular. And uh, so we had everybody and their brother who was in electronic music recording that studio. Uh, and and uh, at some point, uh, another long story that I won't go into, though, um, uh, we were... Uh, it occurred to me that I didn't want to be in a family business, that I was always going to be number three, even though I was supposed to be an equal partner. Um, so I decided to leave that business. I went back to school, got my degree um, and ended up getting hypnotized because I read an article in Time Out magazine and I had never been hypnotized and I wanted to try it. Oh, and wow. it turns out I'm highly hypnotizable. So I had an amazing experience. And so then I started going every week to be hypnotized. And then I decided that's what I wanted my next business to be. So I found this one hypnosis center in, there's only one hypnosis center like in the country or world at that time. It was in Virginia Beach. I, it was owned by a gentleman by the name of Patrick Porter. And I called him and offered to pay him to work for him for a month or two uh, so that I could learn the business and uh, that I would help him like working for him for those two months. But my intention was to help him so that he felt like he got value and pay him for that opportunity. But that I was planning on going back to New York and then doing exactly what he was doing, but my spin on it. And he agreed. And so that's what happened. And then I went to New York and I thought I understood marketing and advertising really well because I had made the store like the store became the hottest store in Manhattan. I mean, we had, you know, crazy amount of celebrities shopping there. Every major designer shop there like etc. So I thought I really understood uh, marketing. And I, I guess I did from a brand and image standpoint, but totally didn't get it from a direct response standpoint. Yeah. So we had to run ads to get people to call in for a free screening to then after the free screening, we'd sell them a hypnosis program. And the more I liked the ad, the worse it did. Uh, the cheesier I thought it was, the better it did. Um, and yeah. so I realized pretty quickly that like, I really didn't know what I was doing and I had to learn this whole area called direct response. And that put me in touch with a lot of legends of direct response. This is back in like the late nineties. So like Jay Abraham, Gary Halpert, Dan Kennedy, um, Bob Y, like a bunch of these guys and, um, really grew the hypnosis center, like over four years very fast to 13 and a half million. We had 60 hypnotists on staff. We had three locations. We were opening up a fourth, uh, one in Brooklyn, one in Queens, one in Manhattan. We were opening a second in Manhattan. And then, uh, and we had gotten like the calls from a full page ad when we started, we're like 40 calls from a direct response style ad. And just through split testing, um, we were able to get it up to like 450 calls per ad. And we were advertising Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, full page ads forefront in the daily news. And, um, that went really well and we were kicking ass until 9-11 happened. And then 9-11 happened and we couldn't advertise anymore. I made some dumb moves and uh, to try and save the company, but not the right way. Because up until that point, I just had a string of successes and the idea that I could fail at something didn't even occur to me. Um, and so I actually threw a lot of good money after bad. And um, I, I ended up... Uh, eventually selling off the pieces like i had a decision to make like after a while um where ultimately i could either retrench fire like most of my management staff go back to one office and do it all over again which to me as an entrepreneur is like i've already been there done that i've already have a good team i have to get rid of this good team and then hope to find people that are as good later on totally not what i want to do so i ended up selling off the pieces 
had to deliver for about a year so that like I wouldn't get decimated in chargebacks. Um, I was on the line for like five or six million there. And so like, you know, serviced it all, closed it, sold off pieces. And then I had to decide what I wanted to do next. And I wasn't in the same position I was when I had started the hypnosis center, because when I started the hypnosis center, I had deeper reserves. Now I had used a lot of those reserves, even though we were making money in the hypnosis business, but I thought I could turn it around. So um, I ended up having to sell my apartment, which was in Manhattan. I had a loft in Chelsea, which totally sucks because I bought it for like 300 grand in 95. I sold it for like 1.2 million in 2001. And now that apartment is 5 million. And I thought I would have it for the rest of my life but I needed the money. Um, so I moved down to Florida with the plan of getting online because uh, I liked direct response and I didn't want any more employees because uh, the end of the hypnosis business was me killing myself every, like every two weeks to get enough money in the bank so that we could make payroll for the next struggle the next two weeks. So the idea of like this thing called direct response, which I was halfway decent at and not having employees was like a great thing. And um, the very first book, I, so I started doing eBooks online. The very first eBook I did was uh, all the gurus back then were telling us that like, you have to find a problem and that problem has to have like consequences. And if that problem is an urgent problem, all the better. So I really racked my brain. Like what could someone type into a search engine? that would immediately flag that they have a problem with dire consequences that has some urgency in it. And uh, the best I came up with was if someone types in pass a drug test in Google, like they've got a problem because it means one, they have a drug test coming up Two, uh, they don't think they're going to pass um, because you don't type in pass a drug test if you don't have a problem. So I created an ebook that showed people how to find out like what test, what kind of testing tech they were going to be using. I hired like a biomedical engineer uh, to like look at different ways that those tests could be beat. And I wrote a sales letter for it and I sent it to John Carlton because I was in like his coaching program. And he was like, I wouldn't change a single word of this sales letter, which made me super happy. And uh, that was the first thing I released. It was called... Uh, Beat, beat your drug test or beat my drug test. I don't even remember. I gave it, I gave it to a friend, the site. It made me like about 25 or 30 grand a month. But um, later on, I started doing stuff with Jay Abraham. And he was like, you, that's not good for the people that we want to go after. You have to get rid of it. So I was like, okay. Um, but uh, that was my first. And then my very second um, was on uh, baby modeling um, because both my daughters uh, have been baby models. Um, my Oldest Ava was on the cover of Parents Magazine. She was the face of Downey. Uh, so that was like a $100,000 contract from Procter & Gamble. And from there, uh, I just did these like eBooks in lots of different areas. And I was making some money, but not a lot. And I was doing everything myself, no employees, because I was like, didn't want employees. And um, I got really frustrated with myself like that. I felt like I was working harder than I ever did, but I didn't see a path to making the kind of money I used to make nor like the lifestyle I used to have. And so I was writing my journal. I've, been, I've kept the journal for like the last 30 years. And I was writing my journal, bitching about it. And I started looking at all the things that I was responsible for. And I kind of developed this diagram of like what I was doing wrong. And um, 
And that diagram later on became something very relevant. But um, so I realized what I was doing wrong. And I realized that I needed to treat online business just like my offline businesses. And, um, and that it made no sense for me to be doing these ebooks in all these different fields because, um, because there was no ability to leverage the work that was done before going forward. So mm -hmm. since I had the baby model book, what I, and a few others, I had a few on golf, I had this and that. I had this one that I was really excited about that was the stupidest idea now in hindsight that I ever did, which was when I had the hypnosis centers, um, this woman, like, you know, we sold like programs, right? And this woman did her whole program and she got results, but she wanted a refund. And, uh, and we only gave refunds for the first 30 days. This was like, you know, seven months later. And um, so uh, the answer was no. Um, and then, uh, you know, she sent me a letter like I was, you know, at this point, we had our three locations, we we're opening the fourth, we had our call center. And um, she sent me a three page letter on the first page, she told me that what I see on the second page, uh, her account of her story with my business, which was very slanted and not true, um, would be sent to and faxed to all the people on page three. And page three had the contact information for every legal authority, every consumer reporter, every investigative reporter. And it was like, basically, you give me a refund or the likelihood is you'll probably have some bad press and like, just headaches. <laughs> and so I was like, I gave this woman a refund, even though she totally didn't deserve it. Cause I didn't like the idea of like a consumer reports, like person being outside, like make me look bad, even though I was hundred percent right. Yeah. And so I saved all that and then found that there's a database for all of like the attorney generals and assistant attorney generals and the consumer investigative reports. Like these are two different databases, but I was able to tap into those two databases. And then I sold a product called consumer revenge, which was like the, the, the headline was like something like the company that screwed you will apologize and give you a full refund. Um, like, or I guarantee, like I guarantee it with my own money that like something like that. And uh, it sold halfway decent, but like, what do you sell a list? of people who are willing to go above and beyond to like hurt a company they do business with. It's not a good list to have. So, um, so yeah, so but a lot uh, of owners weren't happy like with for giving but eventually them. I figured out like if I, if I started creating other eBooks and products in the baby niche, then I'd already have a built in consumer, like from the people that bought baby modeling. And if I did like how to teach your baby to sleep through the night, then later on, I could sell them the baby modeling. I had to teach your baby to talk, how to teach your baby sign language, how to teach your baby to read, all these kinds of things. Right. And, and I didn't write any of them. Like I had like a ghostwriter who worked for me, then worked for me full time. And then her whole family worked for me. And uh, I bought her like copywriting courses. So she was writing the ebook, the copy, the, the emails and all that. And uh, that went really well and started making some decent money and then started to teach like the difference. And uh, well, I helped some friends of mine first. And then uh, I had hired Jay a couple, Jay Abraham a couple of times when I was uh, with the hypnosis business. And um, now that I was helping people and I really enjoyed it, I reached back out to uh, Jay and uh, I had become friendly with this guy, Stephen Pierce. At that time, he was like a big deal online and um, asked Jay if he wanted to get online, too, and that we could like do some stuff together, me, him and this guy, Stephen. And so that's what we did. And I did a uh, teleseminar series with Jay. And then that went into a coaching program with Jay. And so 
Uh, me, Jay, and Steven had this coaching program. It sold extremely well. And so for the next year and a half, that's what we were doing. Ultimately, um, and then the very, when we sold this program, it all, uh, um, all this I'm telling you for a reason. Um, when we sold that program, um, the end of it, uh, you got, like it was a six month coaching program and it ended with a live event that was no pitching, it was just Jay, Steven, and I. And the very first one that we did, I was really nervous about because Steven was flying all over the place speaking on stages. Jay had been speaking on stages for countless years. I had never even spoke publicly and I was kind of nervous. And so I really like prepped hard for these presentations. And one of the presentations was centered around that diagram that I made in my journal about my frustration. And what that presentation, when I gave it to the, um, to the you know, to the clients, uh, they were really blown away by it. And, you know, some people were crying and, and it was obvious that I had something, right? It was like most people thought it was the best presentation of the whole event, you know, period. And so I was like, okay, I have something. And so uh, Jay and Steven had a falling out. Um, I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I was doing most of the work, right, for a third of it, um, which is only fair because their names were much bigger names than mine at that time. And um, so they had a falling out. They weren't going to work with each other anymore, which meant this thing was coming to an end. And um, the last event, we didn't even do the last event. Instead, Stephen was doing a pitch event and Jay would just show up and talk for two or three hours. And I would talk also to that, you know, on that stage. So now I had my first pitch that I was going to do, right? And I decided to do it with the same presentation that made people cry that seemed to resonate like off that thing in my journal. And, um, and so I was afraid also that there would be no uh, table rush at the end. And I would look bad because like I'm going on stage with a bunch of people, like all the people before me, the people after me, these are closers and I'm not right. Like, you know, I studied marketing and more and more as I studied marketing, I got better and better at marketing because I'm not a good salesperson in general. I'm a very good marketer. And so I, I decided like to save myself the embarrassment of having no one run to the back of the room um, that I would make. I was going to sell a coaching program. I would do it by application only. So there was no reason to run to the back and that like I would get people to apply because I'd have a, I had a strong guarantee and the guarantee was when we're done working together, you will be making double what you're making now and you'll be working half as much as you make. Uh, you'll be working half as much as you work right now, or I will give you all your money back. And this was some group coaching, but some personal coaching. And so I had about like 40 some odd people apply for the program. I don't remember how many. It was like 45, seven, something like that. And I ended up going through all the applications and rejecting anyone who I didn't think I could actually deliver that to. And then like immediately rejected those that were clear and then got on the phone with everyone else to kind of just get a sense of who they are and what they're about. And I was fortunate that that message of that presentation really resonated with a unique group of people. So um, from a standpoint that these were people who whose marketing skill exceeded their business skill. Right. That's who resonated with this presentation, not intentionally. That's not like a. a I wasn't that smart, right? Like, but that's who was who it resonated with. So people like Ryan Dice of Digital Marketer, he joined the coaching program. Russell Brunson of of now ClickFunnels, uh, you know, he joined. Mike Philsame of uh, Groove, and uh, the gentleman that runs Grand Canyon, and One Shopping Cart, and 
all these other businesses that have all like kind of exploded uh, during that time. And I was able to deliver the result to everyone over 18 months. It took me a little longer than I thought. I thought I could do it in 12, but it took me 18 months. And um, I finished that program. And then I had a, I had started working with Agora mm. probably about a year and a half, no, two years prior in 2004, because when we did that teleseminar series, that was the front end of the coaching program, Jay Abraham had put me in touch with Agora. And uh, I'd been working. So I became friendly with Agora and started helping them with it early to rise. I helped them make more money. They asked how they could repay the favor. I said, I'd like to meet Mark Ford. And so between like everything I was doing, Mark Ford, uh, who's Michael Masterson, he's one of the founders of Agora and Jay Abraham, uh, you know, became like surrogate dads to me. They're still my primary mentors that I get a lot of advice, both business and life advice from. Okay. And um, I had a deal with Agora where I had a very big project coming up in about three months, but I had just ended my coaching program. So I had uh, mm. no uh, revenue expected for the next three months, nor much to do. Um, because I'd gotten rid of my parenting stuff, like while we were doing those coaching programs and stuff, right. and while I got my coaching program. And so uh, I wasn't sure what to do. And so I decided that I would do an 11 week coaching program since I had my deal with Agora uh, that was starting in 12 weeks. And in order to get some people interested, because nobody was interested really in business coaching at that time, most of the people in online marketing thought it was just better marketing was all that was necessary. I mean, right. the different now. Well, do, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I released a report with the hope that I could share some perspectives that I've had that have led me to the conclusion that if you know business, you'll make more money online, including my own experience of ignoring everything I'd learned and then trying to do it all by myself. And um, the, you know, and so the report ended up becoming like a very powerful strategy. Um, that report ended up going viral. Uh, it's called the Internet Business Manifesto. It's been downloaded. We stopped counting like 10 years ago when it like hit the 2 million mark. So I don't know how many people have downloaded it at this point, but it really put me on the map. It made me from unknown to known because uh, I was kind of behind the scenes before then. And, uh, and then that model like of using free reports to like teach my marketplace about a perspective to then follow up with some kind of product or program for sale became like the model that I did for two years and, and did insanely well with it. I mean, I didn't make less than $2 million on any single report I wrote. The first one, the internet business manifesto brought me back well over 10 million. And so it was really like being in the right place at the right time because like the book free by Chris Anderson, you know, the editor of wired, this model, this new model of like a freemium, um, that was written in 2009. Like I did this back from 2006 and 2007, starting and then stopped in 2008. And in 2008, um, the next big thing for us was we invented the automated webinar. Um, and uh, we also had developed the first e-learning platform to service all the people that bought from the manifesto. And then I did my project with Agora and in 2007, while I was working with Agora, I brought them the VSL. Um, I saw how John Benson had created it and I saw it and I brought the VSL to Agora. That ultimately grew conversion rates like across the board at Agora. I have a letter from Bill Bonner. It's a billion dollar testimonial. 
I want to take a moment and like underline this, like double underline for everyone. So you were responsible for bringing the VSL to Agora. Yeah. All of us, we do a lot of performance marketing. We work, VSLs are, you know, our love. So it's uh, obviously big fan moment over here. (laughs) Well, the thing is, right, like when we brought the VSL to Agora, right, uh, immediately conversion rates went up 400%. Nothing had to be done except copy and paste the sales letter onto PowerPoint slides. Went up 400% in the U.S., 300% in France, 250% in Germany. And, you know, and so Bill Bonner wrote me a billion dollar testimonial, like um, just based off of that. Right. And then in my business, we had invented the automated webinar. I gave that automated webinar to uh, Mike Filsane and he created Webinar Jam and Ever Webinar with that. Um, I gave it to Russell Brunson because he was in a pinch at that time and that helped turn his life around. And then then he did ClickFunnels, which. You know, I didn't have any part of, but wish I did, but then, um, and, um, and so, uh, once again, we were doing something the rest of the market wasn't doing just like with the reports. When I first started doing that with the automated webinars, like we had a crazy high show up rate, crazy high registration rate, because people didn't realize at that time that they were automated. They thought they were alive. And, um, and that allowed us to do a lot of follow-up that like, you know, what I couldn't do on the report was tell if someone had read it, but with a webinar, I could see if someone attended, if they stayed till the end and I could have different segments based on what had happened. And so that was until 2012 really kicked ass from 2008 to 2012. And then I semi-retired because I went through a midlife crisis and didn't, I just didn't want to work and uh, kept my private clients like Agora and a few other bigger companies, but really kind of reduced my business down to a skeleton crew. And then uh, like five years later, um, I was in Nicaragua with Agora at a specific event and Bill and Mark and Miles, uh, the CEO, Bill and Mark are the owners, Miles is the CEO, asked me if they thought it was possible, if I thought it was possible for them to have a hundred million dollar business in internet marketing. And I said, yeah, we would do it exactly the same way that we've done it in health and in finance. And so I said, probably the best way to do it if you want me to be involved is just buy half of my skeleton of a company at this point, right? A shell of a company. And we can do it from there because, you know, strategic profits has a lot of goodwill and, uh, you know, I'm already known in the space, so I can just make it a lot easier. And so we agreed and that's what we did. And then I got busy on a bunch of AI projects in Agora. So we didn't launch right away. We launched in like, I guess 2019 in February. Um, and, the uh, we launched it with a 24 hour live stream out of Mark Ford cigar bar uh, and everybody flew in people like Russell and everybody flew in uh, for it. I stayed on the live stream for 24 hours straight and then new guests every half hour. And, um, and uh, that was great. But uh, I realized in that moment that I didn't want to be a partner with Agora. I'd rather just be a paid consultant to Agora. So I went back to being a paid consultant, bought the business back and have uh, been really uh, growing steal our winners. Right now we have about uh, 7,000 active subscribers and we're about to do a, uh, a new platform that really will be a game changer. And one of the things that like what I most want to talk to you about as it relates to marketing is, is this thing that like I've realized when I've looked at like my own success as well as like the success of the clients that I've helped 
grow, right? Like I've been credited with about $15 billion in increases, like, you know, and, uh, and my own business has grown uh, quite successfully. And all of that happened by really introducing something new, yeah. uh, uh, you know, into my marketing arsenal, right? Not having everything in my marketing arsenal being new, but if you think of everything that you're doing in marketing, uh, at least like the way I like to talk to people about it is like, look, to succeed in marketing is pretty straightforward, but it doesn't happen for no reason. So when you look at everything that you're doing, what's the reason why your marketing should be successful? And if you don't have a reason, then guess what? You probably won't have the success either. And so what is a reason of why your marketing should like outperform your competitors is that like you have something that you're doing that's effective that your competitors are not. And so for me, like that was free reports at that time, right? And then it was webinars and then it was live streams actually after that. And then uh, that I retired and now I'm back, right? And so the, I don't think that most people realize that, that in order for you to grow, you have to have an advantage and that advantage needs to be something that you're doing that your competitors are not. And so the first product that I started in Agora that then when I left, I left with it, I bought it, um, is a product called Steel, uh, Steel Our Winners. And what Steel Our Winners is, is strategies, tactics, growth hacks that are currently crushing it that the world doesn't know about yet. And um, so we've been delivering that since fe February, 9, February of 2019. And we're about to launch an entirely new platform, uh, very AI-based, uh, that also has a lot of other features in it, but with the intention that of really replacing me, like better than me, right? Because I've gotten all that growth for clients and I've grown my own company by basically recommending the right strategy at the right time. And, uh, and an AI system can do that much better than me. So I tried to create a new tech, like with this new platform, uh, that the algorithm is designed for exactly that. And uh, we have about 150 contributors in Steal Our Winners providing the content, right? Um, and it's really, and what I told you offline, like before we started, and then like, then I'll be quiet and we can like do everything else is that um, I wanted to show you one, a video from Jay. Um, it's like a two and a half minute video if it works and we can hear it. Um, so we'll test it if it doesn't, no biggie. But it's really Jay explaining what I'm talking about as it relates to the idea of timeliness as it relates to marketing. And, and then I have just two quick slides to show you what I mean um, as it relates to that. So that's my hope. We're going to pass through the slides here real quick. So let's see if this actually works. Absolutely. I don't know. Don't if, uh, yeah, tell time. me if you can hear the Jay Abraham one when we get on it. You got it. I can see the screen, the law yeah. of the priest. This is a really auspicious opportunity because of all the people I know in uh, digital, online, um, social media marketing, there is no one that I know that I have more respect for and more intrigue with than Rich Sheffron for many reasons. Number one, he is the ultimate research scientist. He is unrelenting in trying to understand the implications, the applications of highest performance in every facet of online. And he has dedicated the last couple of years 
to creating a research business that identifies and probes and penetrates to understand who and what are the most powerful, profitable, and, um, and disruptive methodologies, nuances, and breakthroughs occurring in all facets of digital marketing at any point in time, meaning he has seen that if you can master the, the, the current, let's see if I can say this right, because I know that you said it the other day to me, the current disruptive breakthroughs, you have a window of opportunity that is asymmetric where you're going to get returns, results, profits, responses way out of proportion to anybody else you compete against. And Rich has a research advisory service called Steal Our Winners, where every month he interviews one or more breakthrough thinkers who at that freeze point uh, uh, position of time, that window of time, that man or woman has identified, discovered, refined and perfected a, an aspect of digital, social media, online marketing that is outperforming anyone and every, everything else by orders of magnitude. And it's a window that is diminishing because people find out about it later. But right now, you have enormous advantage. And what we're going to explore today are some of the current huge, outsized, uh, little-known, little-utilized winners that Rich has uncovered that are breakthrough, uh, disruptive, leading-edge, out, uh, outsized, performing anything else being used. At oh, whoops. Oh, okay, that's it. So let me just now move this back here. And let me explain really quick why. Because um, this is what I like if if people walk away with just this and uh, I think like it's the most impactful thing I can share with them as it relates to marketing, that every marketing strategy over time, every marketing tactic, et cetera, um, go, the results that you get with it go down over time. Like so when I like I brought the VSL to Agora. Uh, back in like 2007, but um, by 2017 at Agora, when we split like just a sales letter versus the kind of VSL that we were doing when we first started in 2007, uh, that got us a 400% lift, it no longer got us any lift, right? It was the same as a sales letter and same with automated webinars and same with live streaming. Like I did the, our first live stream I did in 2007 uh, from a hotel. Like it was the first time anyone had done a live stream like from their event. And we had 10,000 people show up, no advertising, no nothing, just because it was the first time that anyone was streaming live from a, like, you know, an event. Like we didn't have to do anything. Like if I do a, if I do a Facebook live tomorrow, I'm not going to get 10,000 people on, probably not even going to get 1,000 people on. I'll be lucky to get 100 or 200 people live, if that, by, you know, and it's because like of this graph that every strategy and tactic that actually can drive your business forward and give you more momentum because all of a sudden you're not working any harder, but your marketing is performing better, that will disappear over time as the tactic becomes more out there and just gets used more. And if that wasn't bad enough, right? Like that in and of itself, 
is going to happen and happens to everything, right? Um, the other side of the coin is, is that also the effort to get the result goes up over time. So if you look at like VSLs as a perfect example, the VSLs today are much higher production. There's a lot more going into it than just like throwing a bunch of words on a PowerPoint. Um, so even just staying in the game for those diminished results requires more effort. So when you overlay those two, which I like, usually I have, like if I'm doing a presentation, you see that ultimately like where you want to be is all the way on the left-hand side of the chart. Because when you're on the left-hand side of the chart, right, you get the least amount of effort and the highest number amount of results. Over time, the effort goes up, the results go down. And so you're never going to find uh, stuff that is on the left where all the leverages and all the momentum, like in a course. Because by the time a course comes out, it's kind of, unless the course is just about that one thing, um, it's generally already starting to move on the line, right? Um, but, and I have nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with courses. I mean, that courses are necessary. And, you know, it's like someone came to me once and said, like, should I subscribe to Steal Our Winners? And I was like, well, that depends, right? Like, and he, and he asked me, well, what does that depend on? I'm like, look, if you need a webinar for your business, Steal Our Winners does not teach you how to have a webinar for your business. You need a course for that. But then once you have that webinar, if you wanted to do better, um, then you want to be a member of Steal Our Winners because in Steal Our Winners, we have every top webinar person talking about what they're doing right now to make their webinars work as, as good as possible. And, you know, so I don't think marketers get like the importance of having something uh, that is very like cutting edge current at somewhere in their marketing mix. And it just has to be somewhere, right? Like when I did the free reports, um, I put that free report on my blog. Everyone else had a blog, so did I. Like the people that downloaded it, I emailed. Everyone else was emailing. The only difference was I was doing these free reports at a time when it mattered. Like if I release a free report today, there's no way that millions of people are going to download it and it's going to go all over the world because like there's nothing that unique and special about a high quality PDF today, but there was back in 2006. And same with everything else that I've done. Like when we did the automated webinars, same thing. Like everything else we were doing was exactly the same as everyone else, right? And so my point in that is that like there, people need to be on the lookout for anything that grabs their attention, anything that's different, anything that's like unique as an approach, because that's what gives you an edge. And you need an edge to win online because you're competing worldwide. And... Uh, that like, I know that was really long for a backstory, but I wanted to kind of give, I wanted my backstory to kind of point to that concept, right? That whether someone ever becomes a client of Steel Our Winners or not, like that's really kind of irrelevant to me. What is very relevant to me is that if you're going to try and grow a business online, like that you must realize like what's different from online to offline. Absolutely. Right? Is that offline, I didn't need like a marketing tactic that was different than all my competitors because I had a lot of other things to rely on, like the mix of the store, the location of the store, right? Like a bunch of other things. But online, for any entrepreneurial business, you need some advantage. And, uh, and the way you find that advantage most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, is using some kind of marketing element that your competitors are not. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I am so grateful that you shared everything with us. And even though to you is information you obviously are very familiar with your background and your history. um, I think it was so amazing that you were honest about the struggles, most of all, because everyone, not everyone, a lot of people have this wrong perception about success that, you know, uh, most of us have had an overnight gain of some sort, mm-hmm. like magically it appeared or we were born with high IQs or whatever. <laughs> and it's rarely the case. Most of the yeah. time is a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work. Um, a lot of moments when we do make a lot of bad choices. I think the the ultimate, I admire individuals that have, you know, failed and were able to come back from that because guess what? Everyone is going to fail at one point, right? And I think this right. is what setting apart people like you, right? Because you have the possibility to uh, get back in the game. And we have so many affiliates that are going to be watching this, uh, you know, in the next 48 hours, you know, it's right. all time zones. And um, we always say this, we only bring people that we admire on the podcast, because when I started a few years back, I don't have, you know, the expertise that you do. However, my superpower is the business side, right? Mm-hmm. And I was smiling and nodding while you were, you know, telling us about business having, you know, if, if you bring good business sense to the online world, right. it's a huge plus, right? And I think this is what we're trying to to teach everyone, right? There are certain tricks and hacks that all of us keep talking about them because they really exist. And um, we're going to say it as as much as we have to, right? Because hopefully at least one person that's listening to us today is going to say, you know what, I probably can have financial stability if I work a bit harder and I apply some of the tactics, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and like I said, it's just having one. You don't need 10 or 20, right? You need one that's effective. And just to circle it to business, right? Like, so I would say that, like, if there was one thing that I could share about marketing, it would be what I just shared. If there was one thing that I could share about entrepreneurship, um, you know, when I, so I was the first online business coach, right? Back in 2004. And, uh, which is kind of crazy to say, because like, it was so hard to sell business coaching at that time. And now there's like, God knows how many business coaches and I don't even business coach anymore. But and a lot of the ideas that I was teaching, I first learned at Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting and then in my work with others. And most of the stuff that I taught is kind of out there now. Like, I mean, it wasn't out there when I started. They weren't like my ideas per se, but they were ideas that I knew that most people didn't. You know, everything from like building a business around your strength to process mapping, to project management, like these kinds of things. But most of that stuff now is kind of out there. But one thing isn't, And I happen to think it's the most important thing, but it might also be because I'm a pretty flawed individual. And, uh, you know, what I when I was doing a lot of coaching of entrepreneurs, like one of the biggest mistakes I would see entrepreneurs make is that they would build a business around some mythical version of themselves, Mm. like that they didn't build a business for a business to succeed based on who they currently were, but they were building it based on them being someone who they weren't or some different. So I have ADD, I'm a perfectionist at times, I'm a procrastinator and like, you know, and I don't care that much about money. And so like, these are not good things for someone running a business and I could try to be different, right? 
which I think is a big mistake. And that's what most people do. But personal change is really hard. There was a book called Change or Die that came out like 10 years ago. And it was about like, you know, uh, when most people are given the choice that you either have to change or you die, 90% don't change, they die, like at the end of the day. And so same here, right? So as someone who is a perfectionist, ADD, sometimes procrastinates, doesn't care about money, like how do I design a business so that it can thrive with someone like that at the top? And instead of me thinking that one day I'm not going to be a procrastinator or perfect, I mean, I, that would be great if I could, but I'm not going to bank my business success on me being different than who I currently am. I'd much rather bank my business success on me staying the same. And so like one of the reasons that I even did the reports, I wasn't doing it because like, oh, this is a great new marketing strategy and stuff like that. It was more like if I can get people to believe this and they're interested, then I can then sell a program that I deliver live. And so as I wrote like eight reports from 2006 to the beginning of 2008, um, each of them then had a program behind it that wasn't created because if I had to create a program like that wasn't live, it would never get done. And like, and then I set up like very aggressive profit sharing in my business. So the team would get together once a week, look at the financials and they were figuring out how do we maximize profits? You know, all of these things were put in place because I realized who I was. And I also realized that like the business doesn't need to be a complete reflection of me. It actually needs to be able to thrive based on the flaws that I have not mattering. And so the biggest like, tip as for entrepreneurs is, is recognize who you really are and then pull back for a second and think about how could the business that you have be successful if you never change? You know, it would be great if you try and change or whatever, but like if your business didn't change, what could, how could you outthink the problems that your flaws cause so that they don't become problems that they might even become a potential like advantage, right? So- I'm highly adaptable because I never finish anything that I don't have to. And so, you know, my ability to adapt makes like selling a program that is going to be live actually more to my sweet spot, right? Than like me being locked up in a hotel somewhere, forcing myself to finish a program before I sell it, right? And, um, and so that I've worked like that was one of the secrets behind me helping so many of my clients get great results was like getting them to be real honest with themselves about who they are mm. and taking that honesty into their business and figuring out how their business can actually thrive based on who they are. You know, it's like if you only if you if you getting up before noon, right, if getting up before noon is really difficult for you, then your business has to have office hours that start at noon. Right. Like in the beginning, like you're not going to like be an early morning riser all of a sudden or you're going to struggle every day. And that's not what having your own business is all about. So I'd say that that's my biggest business tip. Right. Marketing. It's all about timing and uh being a successful entrepreneur is being really honest about who you really are and then making sure that the company makes, uh, makes up for it in some way, shape or form. And those are the two best secrets I have. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> I feel like people at times have to read 10 books and attend uh, 50 masterminds to get what you just shared in you know, the last minute how valuable it is. If you want to succeed, to be honest about your capabilities as a leader, that's, yeah. 
it's common sense, but it's also not because there are way too many books and information out there that's going to tell you to work on yourself to be a better version of you. And sure, to an extent, we should. But at the same time, uh, we're all so different, right? So right. It's, it's fantastic to see that you coach so many brilliant people that, you know, now those people run around the world speaking and yeah. you are the one that was coaching them, right? And the, the, the best thing that you did for their career was to help them be honest to their capabilities and what they can do, right? And Yeah, uh, it's just a shift in perspective and it's recognizing that like, yeah, that like whoever you are at this moment is fine. Like you don't have to be anything different. What you have to do is design a company that, like makes up for it. Like, I'm just not good as a direct, like as a, as a leader to people that I don't respect and admire. Now, I, not everyone who works in my company can be someone I respect and admire. Like I don't need, right. Like people who are doing certain activities for, right. So I know that I can't manage those people well, right. If I respect and admire the person, I can manage them really well because now it's much more of a peer conversation with some accountability. So like knowing that about myself, I don't try to do those things. I have someone else who manages those people who I do respect and admire. And so therefore like I can, so it's just constantly being aware of like putting myself in positions where I can win and making sure that I'm not putting myself in any position. So like the, if an entrepreneur goes to bed at night and thinks they've disappointed their business, then really like they didn't do something they should have. They're not like, you know, holding their weight, whatever, like really those are all symptoms that the business is poorly designed if it's their business. Right. Um, because it should be life providing, not life taking. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about people for a second. Okay. Because I think that's very valuable. And you worked for so long by yourself thinking that you can do it all by yourself. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit that I've done that for a really long time, not anymore. Uh, but there are a lot of people listening that have the same issue. What should be the number one hire? You know, the, the one person that if you're trying to break the cycle, you're trying to bring someone to help you. Right. What should be your first hire? Should be a GM, an assistant, uh, you know, yeah, it really depends. Like, and I'm, I might be thinking about it too micro. So I'll first give you the answer. But if this answer isn't the answer that you want, then we can just have more of a conversation, right? So when I think about like first hire, generally, I ask a question to the entrepreneur first, which is because it's their answer will determine one of two ways to kind of go, mm -hmm. right? So the question that I have is, um, if you like, which one is more true? if you had more time, your business would make more money. Or if you had skill, other skills that you currently don't have, would your business make more money? Which of those two is true? And so if it's that they have more time, right? Mm -hmm. Then really the goal is to offload some of the activities they're currently doing to someone else. So they would be looking to hire someone that has those skills, whatever those skills are that could then be offloaded. So it, almost like an assistant, I mean, even an assistant could do that potentially oh, yeah. because even a personal assistant, like, a, you know, can offload a lot of time activities that they shouldn't be doing in the first place. But if it's different skills, right, then that's a whole other equation. It's like what skills are necessary that you don't have? And could you hire someone that has those skills? Because that's what will help more growth. You know, the issue, like 
what entrepreneurs need to be careful of when they're hiring is like, especially in the beginning, like unless they have a bankroll and they're funded or whatever, is that every employee should actually be adding like in revenue, uh, like early on so that you don't end up with uh, like a situation that a lot of entrepreneurs end up with, where they were making a lot more money when they were doing everything themselves. And now they start growing their business with the team and they're making less and working harder. Right. Yep. That you avoid that by understanding like what is the most valuable resource currently in the company? Is it your time or is it other skills that you don't have? And based on that answer, that would be the path that I would go down. I think any entrepreneur that really is very productive and doesn't have enough time, uh, like a personal assistant is probably the higher, like the first hire. Yeah. Um, you know, and ideally, uh, a personal assistant that's very good because a, a good personal assistant can really double or triple your productivity at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I've seen businesses change by a really good administrative assistant or, you know, a, a role that's seen as something simple. And it's really not because many times if you have, you know, the right hand, they, you know, they'll do so, so much for you. Um, so what about you? What's, who is the person in your company that helps you the most? Um, well, I always have a right-hand person, right? right? Like, so I don't run the day-to-day -day of my business. And you trust and you admire, right? Yeah. Um, and for different reasons, other things based on who I am, right? So as I said earlier, I'm not that money motivated. Obviously a business needs to be. So like my, like the guy that runs my business, the day-to-day, -day, his name is Matt Rizvi, and he wants to get rich, which is fantastic because like, I'm already there. Right. So I'm a little bit fat and lazy at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so like that is really important that like I didn't want someone who has the same like laid back kind of like don't care kind of that I do because that would be a recipe for a bad business. Um, so that uh, and most most important. Well, for me, it's most important that uh, that I trust them 100 percent. And then the other thing that is really critical for me, this is just a me thing uh, for the people that I work around is that like, I don't have to ask twice. And what I mean by that is that like, my memory is really good for certain things and really crappy for other things. And I like to have relationships that go both ways, right? Like mm -hmm. if I ask you to do something, um, I can completely forget about it. Right. I just want to completely forget about it. And what that means is that one of two things will happen. You'll either get it done or you'll come back to me and tell me that you're having a challenge getting it done or you couldn't get it done. But either way, like I don't have to keep it in the back of my head. Well, like I ask like I can completely forget about it the minute it's mentioned. Right. And so that's a rule for my personal assistant. That's a rule for like my right hand guy. That's a rule for anybody I work closely with, because like the alternative is is that I got to keep a running log of all the people that I've had conversations with and what they're committed to. And, and I don't want to do that. Like, and I'm not good at it. Like, you know, and so just another thing, it's like, I only want to talk about stuff. Uh, I only want to bring up stuff once. And then it's on the other person to bring it up to let me know it's either been done or there's a challenge or whatever. I mean, it, it's not so much that like I bark an order and it has to be happen. It's just that when I, after I've talked about something, I want to have the ability to just clear out my mental RAM because like I have to deal with like as a consultant and everything else, I have to really kind of like walk into stuff with a very like, 
clear mind and not have like a lot of mental residue of stuff like oh, I need to call this person after and check on their like no and so that's just what I need for me to thrive and uh and so that's like that's one of my own things right um and uh yeah and I think people have to kind of figure out their own stuff as well like what's really critical for performance and you know if someone asks me for something I have to live up to that same kind of thing right like I, they shouldn't have to bother me Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you are, you know, I know um, your business focuses a lot on sharing stuff that works, stealing yep. the secrets of a yep. lot of brilliant people. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and I'm going to ask you to please just give us a hack or two. I know oh, it's sure. super general, but, you know, we're affiliate marketing uh, marketers. We do a lot online. We create a lot of offers, too. So right. really, chances are that your advice is going to help most of us right so yeah a couple of hacks that you have seen and you can share yeah, with yeah us. for sure um so one that i really like i mean i'm not a media buyer so i apologize in advance to the media buyers out there <laughs> right um but uh the i'm just seeing if i have it in my evernote already like because they populate my evernote uh let's see i think it might be in here no they did not put it in yet all right so um this was from uh jordan menard and it was a Facebook advertising strategy. And what he said to me was that most people make the mistake of thinking that like to get the best people in the market is a function of, of either the campaign or ad set, which it's neither. It's really a function of the creative. And he talked about adding these three metrics to your Facebook like reporting page um, that are there, but that aren't displayed unless you make them displayed. And one is like the percent that stopped the scroll one is that engage in the post in any way, comment, click, read more, uh, anything. And then one is click through, right? And he showed uh, that when you hit certain metrics in those three, right? Like a, I think it's like over 30% or 35 or 40% stop scroll, uh, like 5% engage with the post in any way, shape or form. And like 4% end up clicking over that have engaged um, that, the rates radically changed. So what he showed me was a client that was paying $2.75 a click and the CPMs were $20 when the metrics were not being hit. And then when the metrics were being hit, the, the cost was like 70 cents a click. So it went from 270 to 70, but the CPMs for that audience were $30, not $20. So better audience at a much lower price than a worse audience at a higher price, right? And it's a function of those three metrics. The other thing is that I would say that a lot of people are doing really well with is YouTube. Obviously, YouTube is mm. the best platform right now. Um, although TikTok, a lot of people are um, doing well there, but I don't have any great strategies yet for TikTok, although uh, Maxwell Finn has started a TikTok agency and he's already given a few contributions. I'd just be too hard for me to kind of walk people through. But YouTube discovery ads to your top videos is really a way, and then YouTube retargeting and retargeting outside the platform is an amazing way to actually build a list or to get an audience that have offers for. So there's a lot of people in our industry that are doing a certain amount of discovery ads every day, 
right? To try and get people to start watching their videos. Once they watch a video, trying to get them to subscribe, but even if they don't, they're going to see more of the videos uh, just because of the YouTube algorithm. And once someone watches part of an organic video or whatever, they are now on a retargeting list. And if you're trying to sell a coaching program or market a coaching program in any way, obviously someone having some experience viewing the person, talking to the person, I mean, not talking to the person, hearing the person, viewing the person, et cetera, makes it easier. And so then that person can be retargeted and then ultimately retargeted to some kind of offer page. And uh, a lot of people have done really well with that. And then I would say um, the other thing off just the top of my head is um, interactive video. Like if you want to know like what really will move the needle right now over VSLs, it's mm. interactive. In other words, uh, like... Uh, there's two companies that I know of, Video Ask and Go Tolstoy, um, mm -hmm. where you can, and a, a coach by the name of Daniel Levis, who's also a copywriter, he shared this strategy where it is, you know, you, you go on this page and instead of like a landing page to then a 20 minute video to then an application, right? It's, right. he's asking three questions throughout the video. People are answering it in while they're watching. And so by the time, like the person never needs to leave that page and he's sharing a case study that totally matches their experience of where they are and where they want to get to. And they can fill out the application parts right there on the screen. So he's seen like a tripling of his revenue um, because people are more engaged with it because they're interacting with it. They're pressing a button. Right. And um, and the information that's being given back is much more relevant and moving people across. So, you know, there's a gazillion of these kinds of strategies. And like I said, you only really need one to make the difference. And so if you're very reliant on Facebook, then I just told you one. If you're, yeah. you know, if you're not doing enough on YouTube, like that is an easy strategy for anyone to do. And if you're using VSLs, you should really look at interactive video in general. Oh, you just gave us uh, you you just give give us three huge ones. So I'm super grateful. Thank you. Uh, cool. I and I have to jet because I have a one o'clock and I apologize. Not a but problem. Not a problem. I I just I'm so grateful for you. If your team has time later, we have a bunch of questions on Facebook. Yeah. Well, so you know what? If you want to, if you reach out to me, I don't know when the when the best way that we communicated. But I have time later today. I don't know if you do, but if you want to just record answers to a bunch of people's questions, they can yeah, even throw them in now. I love it. And, and I'm so grateful for you. I'll let you go, but we'll cool. come back to everyone's questions. I promise. Yeah, I'm, I have this call for an hour for a client. And then I think I have some openings the rest of the day. So I'd be happy mm -hmm. to do that. I love it. All right. Well, I really appreciate you. And we'll just have you back on the podcast anyhow. So Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Man. <laughs> Anytime. So, But we'll talk in a, like an hour or two. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Bye.